Father, we want to rest at your feet, sit and learn from you, uh, for your ways are good, they are righteous, they are holy, they are upright. Help us not to depart from your teaching, help us to cling to them. When we rise, help us to meditate upon them, and when we lay our heads down, as your word says, may we also teach them to our children and to our grandchildren, that there may be peace and safety not only for us personally, but for society in general. For we know this is the reason you delivered these precepts for order. And we thank you, Lord, that you did so. Teach us in Jesus' name. Amen. Exodus chapter 21. We just finished up the Ten Commandments, which was kind of grueling. That was three weeks worth. But we've gotten into the book of Exodus, and there are some additional laws that Moses was commanded to set before the people. Now, I broke this down into a couple of sections. The first one here is servants who are bound by circumstances. The second one is servants who are bound by choice. And the third one is servants who are bound by chance. And as we get into chapter 22, Lord willing, today there's a few more. Verse 1 says, these are the laws you are to set before them. If you buy a Hebrew servant, he is to serve you for six years, but in the seventh year he shall go free without paying anything. If he comes alone, he is to go free alone. If he has a wife then, when he comes, she is to go with him. If his master gives him a wife and she bears him sons and daughters, the woman and her children shall belong to her master, and only the man shall go free. Now, most of those who became slaves in the Old Testament did so because they had become poor. Uh, There's several things surrounding this. And in the book of Leviticus, it talks about the year of Jubilee in Leviticus chapter 25. People incorrectly believe that the Bible taught slavery, and that is not true. And even when Slaves were, or the office or the position of a slave was held, there were certain requirements for that, that you were to treat them well, and it was for a period of time if they were Israelites. If they were foreigners, there was a little bit different way you were supposed to treat them. But the Israelites, what was, what was going on with that is each one of the tribes, when Moses came across the Jordan River and inhabited the land, the tribes had the land divided up. Like towards the north end of Israel, you have the city of Dan and the area of Judah is down towards Jerusalem. And and so all of these areas were divided up by the 12 tribes. And as you occupy this particular area, no matter what tribe you are part of, you got some of the land. And that land you were able to hold on to. But if something happened to you financially, you were able to have somebody who is a next of kin or a relative, a cousin, an uncle, someone like that, they could buy the property from you. And if you can find a means in which to pay them back, you could pay them back. But if you didn't have any means to pay them back, you could also sell yourself. And if you sold yourself to be an indentured servant, you were to maintain that place as an indentured servant for six years in a seven-year period. And that was called the sabbatical year. So for six years, you would work for this individual, or if there was a limited time, it was on a regular cycle that this would take place. On the seventh year, all debts would be forgiven. 
the individual would be able to be freed of their debt and the time that they had spent as an indentured servant was sufficient to cover the cost and they were freed at that point. Now, if this happened where you had to sell the land, obviously the land would be worth a lot more. The land could be bought, but it's really only a lease. It had to be given back to the individual every 50 years. Now, the way that that works is you have a Sabbath of days. You have Sunday is the first day all the way through to Saturday, which is the Sabbath day. And the Sabbath day for the Jews was the day of rest. You also had a Sabbath of years. You had six years, for instance, that you were supposed to till the ground. And the seventh year, you were to let it lay fallow. You weren't supposed to do anything to it. If you had vineyards, you were to let the vineyards just grow wild is what you were supposed to do. Now, if you have ever driven through Napa Valley, could you imagine those vineyards just going wild on the seventh year? And you might ask the question, well, how did the individuals provide for themselves if they weren't able to grow anything on their property? This was where faith came in. The individuals were supposed to rely on God that whatever the land produced in that off year, they could survive off of that. And the entire nation of Israel was to observe this. Now, if you remember, the nation of Israel was judged for a few different reasons, idolatry. But one of them uh, was the fact that they did not observe the Sabbaths. So for 490 years, they didn't observe the Sabbath year. That equals out to 70 years, over 490 years. And God judged the Israelites and said, because you have not observed the Sabbath, I'm going to allow this ground to recoup for 70 years. And he brought in Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar from Babylon, and in several waves took the people out to Babylon. They maintained their identity there. And then after it was all said and done, God allowed them to come back to the nation of Israel and they rebuilt the walls. That's where you have Nehemiah. And later on, they rebuilt the temple and everything was restored. But God judged the nation of Israel for not taking that seventh year off. So for 490 years, you added up that equals 70 years. So they went into captivity for 70 years. And so this is the same thing with being a servant. You could sell yourself to be like an employee and the person who purchased you, so to speak, was required to take care of you, to feed you, to clothe you, make sure you had food. And of course, we just read that if you go into this state of indentured indentured servitude with a spouse or with children, they are yours when you're free to leave. But if you go in and then the master provides for you a wife, you are free to leave when your time is up, but you must leave the family. Now, if you were a wise owner, what do you think you would do if you had a young man that came and worked for you? You would get him a wife, wouldn't you? Just shrewd, just shrewd. Oh, go ahead, say hello to her. She's nice, you know, have children, get married. It's all good. Ah, wonderful. We'll throw you a party. (laughs) Just wrap him up, you know, for the rest of his life. And that's what we're going to get into next here is this idea of a bond servant. Now, a bond servant, by the way, I need to back up just a minute. Slavery in the Old Testament is called slavery, but it's more like being an indentured servant. It is not the same as it was in the uh, 17 and 1800s here in this country. It's completely different. Uh, 
what the slave traders did here is they would kidnap individuals. And by the way, there's more slavery today in the world than there was in the 17th of the 1700s and the 1800s. It is just rampant. It is everywhere. It is a scourge on society, especially in the Middle East. There is slavery. People are taken captive. You read stories every once in a while, somebody who comes from the Middle East, they come here and they keep somebody as a slave, as a servant in their own household and they get prosecuted for that. And of course, we know William Wilberforce was a tremendous force of getting rid of slavery uh, in our present day. He did it a couple hundred years ago, but the way way that he worked and we fought the civil war we saw the scourge and how bad it was and even in our country they kind of wrote it into the constitution because they wanted to get rid of it but because of the south they weren't unable to get rid of it so the the things that we're talking about when it concerns slavery the sins of our country they were definitely sins but back then in the nation of israel this was an acceptable practice and it was to it was meant to benefit the poor slavery in the 17th uh, 1700s and the 1800s was meant to benefit the rich. You see how that works? So in Israel, God said, look, we need to take care of these people. They're poor. They can sell themselves for a period of time and they can become a servant for the rest of their life if they want to, but it's their choice. And so that's how God set it up. And it was for the benefit of those individuals. Also, if Israel went in and conquered a nation, say it was the Malachites or the Jebusites or whoever it was, they conquered the nation. First, they would go with terms for peace. They would say, look, we're going to come and attack you, but you can become our servants if you don't want us to attack you. And they can make these terms, and basically the country, the nation state, becomes a servant to the nation of Israel. They were required to bring so much grain, so much oil, so many oxen, so many cattle, and that was their price. And in exchange, Israel would provide protection if they ever got harmed or attacked in any way. Israel would come to the rescue because that's kind of like a territory of theirs but they had to pay tax in order to maintain that relationship if they decided they didn't want to do that then they went to war and the israelites were allowed to take captives but those captives they had to treat them properly they could not mistreat them at any time and that was considered a curse that was considered a wrong thing to do for the nation of israel that is talked about in deuteronomy chapter 20 beginning in about verse 10 If Israel makes war against the city, they can first extend the peace. And if they don't, then they can go ahead and take slaves if they get into a war. Now, a foreign slave, if you were a slave in Israel and you're from a foreign country, you were not automatically released after six years because if you were not an Israelite, you are not allowed to own land in Israel. And releasing a foreign slave that is under your care may be a death sentence. Uh, to a foreign slave and so god set that up look you got to take care of these guys you got to make sure that they're well provided for at least providing and by the way there was beating uh that would take place and if the master beat a slave and damaged his face lost a tooth hurt an eye something like that the slave was allowed to go free The, the master was not allowed to mistreat their servants And I think the word servant is better than the slave when it comes to the translation here because, you know, we're all slaves to sin and God is our master and he is gracious towards us and he provides for us. And so when we look at the nation of Israel, God wanted to set it up like that. God also disciplines us when we're 
at fault, when we're wrong. And God said, do this as well for those who are servants, but do not mistreat them. Do not damage them in any way. And then also, uh, a runaway slave. Sometimes slaves were mistreated. Uh, servants were mistreated. And if they ran away, Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 15 says, if a slave has taken refuge with you, do not hand him over to his master. Let him live among you wherever he likes. And in whatever town he chooses, do not oppress him. Now, some people say, but there's no laws that say you can't go and get your servant again and bring them back. And there's a debate about that. But this idea of Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 16 is you are not to oppress the person who becomes a servant or somebody who is getting away from oppression. You're to treat them well. Then we go to servants who are bound by choice. Now, this is what we know as a bond servant, a doulos. In verse 5, it says, but if a servant declares, I love my master, my wife, and my children, and do not want to go free, then his master must take him to, take him before the judges. He shall take him to the door or the doorpost and pierce his ear with an awl. Then he will be his servant for life. So say this young man sells himself into servitude, and the master provides for him a beautiful wife, and he marries her and has children by her. And he says, I love my wife. I don't want to leave. I got a good job. I have a place to stay. This master provides for us. I don't want to go. And so the servant goes to the master and says, I want to become a servant forever until I die. The master obviously has to be agreeable to that. And he says, okay, and so you guys know what an awl is, right? An awl is like an ice pick. Now, they use it in different uh, trades. They use it in metalworking. They use it in plastics. They use it in woodworking. It's where you would take a straight edge, and you'd take an awl, and you'd scribe it, or you'd make a punch like that, and you drill, and that's how you start uh, a, a drill hole pattern to make sure it's right on. That's what you do. Well, they take that awl, and they go, okay, go up to the doorpost, and so you'd go up to the doorpost, left's right, right's not, and you'd put it up there, and you'd punch that thing through the ear. Now, you might go, oh, ow, oh. Just, have you ever watched piercings on those little videos, how they do it? And my daughter or granddaughter just wailed, you know, when it happened, when they got the little piercing. Well, they take that all, and they just punch it through the earlobe, earlobe and they put a gold ring through that earlobe. That signifies that you are a bond servant. Now there is, most of you will remember, a guy with a shaved head, all dressed in white, big muscles, standing like this on the front of some cleaner. Mr. Clean. And what was the thing that he had? He had that gold earring. He was a bond servant, is who he was. And these individuals would choose to be with the master. They think everything is good. I never want to leave. I'm going to be a bondservant. Paul, several times in the opening of his letters, calls himself a servant of Jesus Christ. That word servant in the original language is doulos. He became a bondservant. Uh, we used to sing a song back at Calvary Chapel, San Diego. Take my ear, O Lord my God. Take me to your door this day. I will serve no other gods with you. I'm here to stay. And it's talking about being a bondservant where you get that. And as Christians, we are to indenture ourselves to God. We are to be submissive to him. We are to stick our 
ear lobes, metaphorically speaking, up to the doorpost and let him put his seal on us where we will never leave. We will serve him even though we are still under slavery, the slavery of sin. God treats us well. He gives us mercy. He gives us grace. And we're to be willingly submissive to that. But the same thing with these servants that would occasionally happen is the servant would say, that's it, I'm done, I'm out of here. Christians do the same thing. Yeah, I was a doulos for a little while, but no more. I'm done with this. I'm out of here. Christianity, that was good for a while, but I'm finished. People do that all the time. That means you're no longer under the master's care. That means... You're by yourself. You fend for yourself. And when judgment day comes, some people say, well, does that mean they lose their salvation or what's going on? Look, I'm going to let the Lord sort all of that out. I don't believe you can lose your salvation, but people argue about this stuff and it's not worth arguing about. You just simply know if you are a bondservant or not, right? And if you're worried about it, what should you do? Make sure you are a bondservant. Make sure that you're doing everything that the Lord wants you to do. Make sure you don't go wandering off and say, well, what other religions are out there? Maybe I haven't learned what I need to learn about these other religions. Like, come on, get a clue. Snap yourself into reality. There is only one God. We've already learned that as we've gone through the rest of the Ten Commandments. So there are servants who are bound by choice, and that's what we do when we come to Christ. We bind ourselves to Christ. And Christ says, I will take care of you. I will provide for you. It is the one who is called Jehovah Jireh. This word doulos occurs 127 times in the New Testament. And that's what we are to consider ourselves. And thirdly, there are servants who are bound by chance. If a man sells, verse 7, his daughter as a servant, she is not to go free as men's servants do. If she does not please the master who is selected for her, he must Let her be redeemed. He has no right to sell her to foreigners because he has broken faith with her. If he selects her for his son, he must grant her the rights of a daughter. If he marries another woman, he must not deprive the first one of her food, clothing, and marital rights. If he does not provide her with these three things, she is to go free without any payment of money. So what would take place here? Say you had a man that had several daughters and the man is looking to get the daughters provided for he's getting older and so he can make a deal with somebody and by the way back then you always made a deal to get your daughters married it was by appointment and you you were basically told as a daughter you will marry this individual and some of them might say well he's so old you know or he's not very mature he's not very bright i'm sorry that's just the way it worked and the woman was to be taken care of because she is the weaker vessel i don't know what society is teaching now i can just guess about women and men all you have to do is look at the television that women are beating up men left and right and they're so strong and so adept it's just not true I don't know if you know this or not, but women are not as strong as men. It's just because they have more muscle. Now, are some women as strong as men? Ronda Rousey? I think so. She could pummel a few guys, right? If you don't know who she is, don't worry about it. You don't need to know. But these these women, you know, some of the women, like these Olympic athletes that have been on the Olympics, I wouldn't want to mess with some of them. 
But they are the exception. But you put them up against men in the Olympics as well. As well, it, There's no contest. And God designed it that way. This is a good thing. This is not a bad thing. But there is this temp, attempt to wipe out all gender issues and just make everyone equal in all ways. And it, it's just a flat-out lie. It is not true. And back then, God recognized this, that a woman left to herself, it may not turn out well. Now, certainly, there was probably abuse. If a father sold a daughter to somebody who was a master, there could be abuse involved. There's no question about that. Abuse has been taking place. Sexual abuse, physical abuse, all of these things have been taking place for eons, just forever. But God set this up, and if you were living righteously, you would not defraud her. You would not mistreat her. You would take care of her. And if you didn't, you had to let her go free. And so God set this up in order to protect these girls. And, of course, they had to get rights as a daughter if they married the son of the master. Now, going on with this, we have the issue of capital punishment. In verse 12, anyone who strikes a man and kills him shall surely be put to death. However, if he does not do it intentionally, but God lets it happen, he is to flee to a place I designate. But if a man schemes and kills another man deliberately, take him away from my altar and put him to death. This is the second time capital punishment is installed. The first time was with Noah. Noah received the command that if a man's blood is spilled, whoever spilled that man's blood, his blood shall be taken. So twice. And then if you go to the book of Romans, we know that the government does not bear the sword in vain. And that sword was meant to kill and not murder. And so God condones killing of murderers. And it is not murder. And it is to be done judiciously. It is not to be, well, in Israel, what would happen if, say, for instance, I have three brothers, and those three brothers, if one of them was killed, and I didn't know if it was by accident or not, there would be a sanctuary city. We grew up in Chula Vista, and the sanctuary city might be Encinitas. And so if somebody killed my brother, the first thing he'd better do is run to Encinitas, because I could come after him. And do a revenge killing because he killed my brother because I don't know the circumstances. But if he's not guilty, run to Encinitas. Up there, the elders of that city will adjudicate the killing. If it was killing, if it was murder, if it was accident. And they would determine whether or not I would have a right to take his life. But it had to be determined by the government of the day. We cannot just go out wantonly and take somebody's life. God says that's immoral. That would be murder. But it has to be adjudicated. People have to say, look, this is the way it happened. There has to be two or three witnesses in order to condemn the individual. But they would set up these sanctuary cities. And there wouldn't be just one. There were several throughout Israel that you could flee to if somebody died accidentally. Have you ever seen somebody cut down a tree with a chainsaw and they cut it down wrong and they're fleeing for their very lives when that tree comes down? It's just amazing. Well, what if both of you are cutting it and somebody hears that, well, so-and-so got 
got killed by the tree. The guy cut it down and it fell right on him and he didn't wait for him to get out of the way. You could see how that could just blow up and somebody would want to take revenge. And so it's flee, brother. Get to that city of refuge. And so God set it up that there would be order in society. Could you imagine if he didn't do this? If you just got the single hit or somebody was just mad, they would go out and kill whoever they wanted to. And God says, no, we're not supposed to do that. So this is the purpose of the sanctuary city. Then in verse 15, anyone who attacks, in the NIV it says attacks, but the word here is kills. If anyone attacks his father or mother, he must be put to death. You are not allowed to kill your parents. Now, I would ask you, how does this apply today? How many people actually go out and kill their parents? Well, Lizzie Borden took an axe. You know, well, you hear stories about stuff like that. There are some people who are just, in the vernacular of the day, they're whacked out, and they just, they don't know how to act. And if somebody kills their parents, they're to be killed. You're not to kill your parents. And why do you think this even has to be mentioned? People were killing their parents, And why were they killing their parents? Probably for inheritance. We don't know what it was. But God's saying, look, you're going to be separate, especially the pagan world that was out there. They would do stuff like this. I mean, what keeps you in line? It's a set of laws. And the laws that were set up back then, it was the ruler of the city. It was the king of the little fiefdom. He's the one that made the laws. And if you wanted to go kill somebody, well, fine. And how many times do you see kings and presidents and all these potentates getting killed left and right and they're deposed by another that rises up and it could be their parents how many caesars were killed because somebody in their lineage wanted the throne of caesar well it just happened all the time and god says don't don't kill your parents then and that's number one killing number two we had kidnapping anyone who kidnaps another and either sells him or still has him when he is caught must be put to death if you take a child and the child is not yours that's it you are done it's the deep six for you they are going to take your life now if you can remember i'm sure most of us were not alive when this happened when Charles Augustus Lindbergh Jr. Now, you know who Charles Lindbergh is? He's the one that flew the Atlantic, right? In his little spirit of St. Louis. If you go down, I think it's in the airport, actually. They have a scale model of that hanging from the ceiling down there. And the original is in Washington, D.C. But Charles Lindbergh had this firstborn son, eldest son, and he was kidnapped. And because that child was kidnapped, they ended up making the Limburg Law that covers acts of kidnapping that did not cross state lines and that a person could be capitalized for that. And that goes way back. And if you kidnap somebody and you kill them, you can get the death penalty. Uh, And the Supreme Court in the 1970s, you know, they made some revisions on the death penalty and stuff like that. And so some of these laws went away, but many states have reinstituted this. They look to the Old Testament and go, why, somebody kidnaps my child. I mean, and there's so many children that go missing. And what a burden on the parents for that. So there is no killing, no kidnapping. Thirdly, you're not to curse your parents. Verse 17, anyone who curses his father or mother must be put to death. 
Imagine if we still had that today. How many kids would still be alive? You know, you have the middle schoolers and the high schoolers. They think they know something and they get in an argument with their parents and they start cussing and cursing their parents. Done with them. Off with their head. They were to be killed in the Old Testament. What kind of warning is that for the kid? I want to tell you, you better not ever curse me because, you know, here's what it says. Let me show you. It's God's word right here. They'll kill you if you do that. You know, you keep these little kids in line. You put the fear of the Lord in them. That's a good thing for any small child. And then it gets into compensation. Verse 18. This idea of fighting first takes place. If men quarrel and one hits another with a stone or with his fist and he does not die but is confined to bed, the one who struck the blow will not be held responsible if the other gets up and walks around outside with his staff. However, he must pay the injured man for his loss of time and see that he is completely healed. If a man beats his male or female slaves with a rod and the rod dies as a result, he must be punished. But... He is not to be punished if the slave gets up after a day or two since the slave is his property. Now that, that is harsh. Now these, the people that are being talked about here are the fellow Jews. And how badly must you be beat or beaten to be laying there for a day or two days? That's pretty severe. These are pretty bad beatings and God allowed this. But if somebody died or somebody is injured or a face was marred or a tooth was lost, then God said the servant or the slave would go free at that time. Then there's this idea of fetal harm. Verse 22, God deals with the sanctity of life. If men who are fighting hit a pregnant woman and she gives birth prematurely but there is no serious injury, the offender must be fined whatever the woman's husband demands and the court allows. But if there is serious injury, you are to take life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burned, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. And so even a child in the womb is considered a human being by God. And that is what is to guide us today. By the way, some people say, that's the Old Testament. You know, there are so many things that you are supposed to do in the Old Testament, and they'll make this connection this causal connection like the priest would come into your home and check for mold you know you're still supposed to do that so this doesn't apply no that was the ceremonial law this is the moral law the moral law never changes you had the civil you had the judicial law you had the moral law you had the ceremonial law and the only thing that changed was the ceremonial law you guys are no longer bringing calves you no longer bring oxen to the temple and get them sacrificed you don't do any of that anymore we don't do any of that but these things are to remain in force unfortunately in our country we're saying that no the person inside the womb is not a human being even uh, the woman who's running for president her husband said that the person is considered a person when they breathe their first breath and now that there is a move that you can still uh, kill the child up to one year after the child is born that's where they're going next with this they want to install laws that you are not a person until you are cognizant of your surroundings and even then individuals are not considered human beings if you go to the right culture there are no human rights whatsoever and god says from conception till death there are human rights you are not to willingly wantingly take a life of anyone during that time of life from conception until they actually die now that does get into the whole idea of euthanasia and there are times 
to practice proper euthanasia, where you are extending the life of an individual, where you're keeping them all hooked up, and that's the only thing that's keeping them alive, at that particular point, I think what we are doing is immoral. You pull the plug, so to speak, but we have this sense of, no, try to do everything you can. You know, our days are numbered. But if you go in there, and they call it a code C, if you go into some of these convalescent homes, they withhold food and water from those laying in the beds, and they just expire from no care. And we do that, and I think that that also is a scourge on our society. We're not supposed to do that. Then in verse 26, we have freedom from servants being harmed. If a man hits a manservant or maidservant in the eye and destroys it, he must let the servant go free to comp- compensate for the eye. And if he knocks out the tooth of a manservant or maidservant, he must let the servant go free to compensate for the tooth. And then he goes in, of course, in a, an agrarian society. If we were an agrarian, agrarian society, this would apply. This idea of a bull goring somebody. Now, I don't know if you've been to the rodeo. Hopefully, most of you have been to the rodeo. We went one year where this bull, somebody in the stands, and it was at night, they were wearing this red sweater. For whatever reason, I have no idea, but they were wearing this red sweater, and they were like in the first row, right? And this bull comes out. You know how those bull comes out. They, they come out, and they go, all right, who's next? You know, and they're they're salivating and they're just snorting and they're going around the arena well this bull focused on this person with the red sweater hopped over the first rail to get the person anyone here when that happened that was several years ago we were there it just hopped right over the rail and then you see the people they were just out of there and then the bull eventually got back down it hopped the gate it went over the gate and down 67 it was running really it was running down 67 and they had to euthanize it because it was going to kill somebody it was going to run head on into a car or something but these bulls you know they are nasty creatures you don't want to mess with those bulls steers they're a little more docile but the the bulls they are one hunk of beef right and you don't want to mess with them verse 28 says if a bull gores a man or a woman to death the bull must be stoned to death and its meat must not be eaten but the owner of the bull will not be held responsible if however the bull has had a habit of goring and the owner has been warned has not kept it pinned up it kills a man or a woman the bull must be stoned and the owner must also be put to death that is harsh however if payment is demanded of him he must redeem his life by paying whatever is demanded you would sell everything you had in order to redeem your life for something like that. This law also applies if the bull gores a son or a daughter. If the bull gores a male or female slave, the owner must pay 30 shekels of silver to the master of the slave, and the bull must be stoned. So this is a way to keep people responsible. You could own a bull. I don't care. Stay off my property. Don't be going on my property. And you could see how this fight could ensue. And so the elders of the city would keep everybody in check. Man, it could mean your life if that bull gores somebody. And so they're keeping the city, the country, they're keeping it all sane. They're keeping order. And this is how God set it up. Also in verse 35, if you skip there, if a man's bull enters the bull of another 
and it dies, they are to sell the live one and divide both the money and the dead animal equally. However, if it was known that the bull had had a habit of goring, yet the owner did not keep it pinned up, the owner must pay animal for animal, and the dead animal will be his. And so we see how God works out the equity of justice here. And then there's this idea of digging a pit. Now, as a kid, any guys in here ever dig pits? Oh, yeah. We used to dig forts in the dirt, cover them with bamboo, hide, you know, in the fields. And I'd dig a pit and I'd cover it over, fill it full of water and cover it over with fine dust and tell my brother to step there. You know, and he'd step right. We would do all kinds. We'd dig pits all the time. Well, that's what people did back then. They'd do it to catch animals and stuff. In verse 33, if a man uncovers a pit or digs one and fails to cover it and an ox or donkey falls into it, the owner of the pit must pay for the loss. He must pay its owner and the dead animal will be his. Now, why did God include these maladies such as killings and kidnappings and cursings and compensations when giving out the law? Not only did he give the Ten Commandments, but he gave these sub-laws, so to speak. It is because of justice and fairness. Our bent is to avoid these if we are harmed by them. We don't want to be called to account if we had made a mistake. It's not my fault. I'm not to blame. I didn't do it, right? That's our first bent. We don't want to be held responsible. We don't want it to impact us. We want to do what we want to do. But God tells us, no, you have to live with other people. And this is the way you would live with other people. But the wicked do not care about what is just, but only what benefits themselves. According to Scripture, Proverbs 21, verse 15, when justice is done, it brings joy to the righteous, but terror to evildoers. Proverbs 28, 5, evil men do not understand justice, but those who seek the Lord understand it fully proverbs 29 4 by justice a king gives a country stability but one who is greedy for bribes tears it down and so this idea of doing what is right before god and god loves it when we fess up when we say yeah i'm to blame i did wrong to give an example of this tiana we were playing sit down volleyball at the camp uh, we took the youth up to camp and we're doing the volleyball back and forth the way you do it is you you set some chairs up and everybody sits in the chair and you have to sit in the chair and you can only reach like this for the volleyball and it goes over this imaginary net we had chairs as our imaginary net and it was a lot of fun especially when you go 15 times back and forth it starts to become riotous right and so tiana she makes this daring move she comes out of her seat and she hits the ball and everybody goes foul you came out of your seat and tiana goes i did i came out of my seat I did. And I said, way to go, Tiana. You know, you fessed up. This was good. I'm going to relate to you a story in this book. I've I've mentioned this book to you before, uh, Greg uh, Crochelle, the Christian atheist, believing in God, but living as if he doesn't exist. He got, he had never gotten a ticket for anything in his life driving. And he got pulled over and it was for an expired tag And so he decided to plead for mercy, to go to the court date, and he showed up. And as he's in the courtroom, and I'm I'm telling it it with my paraphrase, as he's in the courtroom, he's watching all these people go forward 
telling the judge why they are innocent, that they are not guilty of this offense. You know, and then they'd show the video and guilty, the judge would say, guilty, guilty, guilty. And so it's his turn. He gets up there and the judge says, okay, how do you plead? And the guy says, Craig says, I'm such an idiot, your honor. I'm so guilty. And he says in his book that the judge raised his eyebrows and looked up without moving up his head. He says, what did you say? And the guy says, I'm such an idiot. I'm so stupid. I didn't take care of the tags when I was supposed to take care of the tags. And the judge says, excuse me, did you call yourself an idiot? And he says, yes, your honor, I'm guilty. And the judge says, whoa, we can't have that. We can't have somebody guilty in here when all these people are innocent. All these innocent people in this courtroom know we need to make sure that you're guilty. And he goes, I'm charging you with throwing out this fine. You are not required to pay anything because of your admission of guilt. And the guy goes, great. He goes, on top of that, we're going to wipe out any record of you ever committing a crime and not taking care of your tags. And he just goes, great you know and so the judge was just thrilled that this guy goes i'm so guilty i'm such an idiot hallelujah you know and everybody else in there is innocent you think some of the people after that learned their lesson you know that maybe they were guilty as well and they should be humble about it but the wicked we decide no i'm not going to be responsible i'm not going to want to pay that fine and god says no this is a way to keep everybody in check this is a way that will bring stability to society and when we see our laws being slowly eroded away when we don't act properly it just leads to the despair of the citizenry Uh, to give an example several years ago i was reading this article of uh, a woman married she had a child and then divorced and that child was hers but then this boyfriend came in later and they became boyfriend and girlfriend but then they broke up and it didn't work out the woman with the child went after the boyfriend for child support for the child and i'm thinking to myself how does that happen the man is not responsible you know he probably came in and helped out a little bit for a while you know being a good boyfriend but then he's held responsible until that child's 18 to take care of that child you know some of these laws that come up they just don't make sense and when the court overturns some of these things it's like what in the world is going on well we know the world is going on it is the area that satan rules over and disorder is what he wants and those who are against righteousness and justice they like to see disorder in every evil practice so those who promote that and you know i'm going to say something here probably get me in trouble that won't be the first time it's this idea you see the media promoting the black lives matter And that was all because of a lie that his hands were up and he said, don't shoot. That never occurred. That's why there were never any prosecutions for that. And some guy stood up and I saw the picture of this guy and he said, all lives matter. 
There isn't just one life that matters or one race that matters. All lives matter. As a result of him standing up and doing that, he was beaten across the head. And I saw the picture of him in a wheelchair. His head was covered in bandages because he dared to say that all lives matter. And this is given place in our society. And people are just running rampant and doing what they want. And this is not what God says. You know, in in God's eyes, we are all equal. And every life is to be considered sacred. And we're not to do damage to anyone. I don't care what race or height or gender or whatever it is. And God sets these things up. But when the pendulum goes one way or the other, it is a bad deal for all of us. And we need to be the ones standing up and saying, no, this is just not right. And we need to call wrong, wrong. And I know that we're hesitant to do that, right? If, If you want to stand up in a crowd and say, all lives matter, You think you might be persecuted for that? Well, you might. But that's what God says for us to do. Stand up for what is right. Do not let wickedness prevail. And by the way, that movement was given over $33 million by George Soros to bring mayhem to our society. Now, I'm not trying to be political here. I'm just telling you how this stuff works. There are people that are just trying to disrupt society. And we're to stand for righteousness, equality across the board, give everybody the right to life, the right to pursue happiness, just like our Constitution says. And if we do that, we will be a stable society. But if we give in to these individual groups that are into wickedness and and, uh, just all the problems that are out there, we are doing ourselves a disservice And it's because we're not teaching our children well. We're leaving it up to the schools. And I don't mean that as an indictment for anyone in here. It's just as a society. That's what they're doing. They're trying to change the moral value, the moral fabric of society. And if we allow it to happen, we will get exactly what we deserve. And so it's our job to stand up. It's our job to vote. It's our job to speak up when things are wrong and say, this is just wrong. And if we get persecuted because of it, you know what 1 Peter says. Well, I'd rather have you be persecuted for doing right than to be persecuted for doing what's wrong. And so God calls us to this. And don't worry if we get persecuted, even if you get maimed or if we get killed, we have a better life. We have a better inheritance that awaits for us. Briefly, let's go to Exodus 22. Here the subjects that are covered are theft, negligence, wickedness, fairness, and devotion. The first one, theft. Exodus chapter 22, verse 1. If a man steals an ox or a sheep and slaughters it or sells it, he must pay back five head of cattle for the ox and four sheep for the sheep. This is a 500% penalty, right? This is also called fencing. This isn't where you put up a fence around a property. This is called taking possession of stolen goods and selling them. If we do that, then we are to pay back 500%. Five times is what we're supposed to pay back. Imagine if that was the law today. How much fencing do you think would be taking place? And you would be thrown into prison until you could pay every last bit of it. I mean, if we just looked at our prison system and said, okay, let's install some of this stuff. Chuck Colson was into this. He's going, you just do this. Have people pay back, you know, for the harm that they cause. Like today, also, if you had chop shops for cars and they chopped up all the parts and they sold all the parts, if you catch those people, you figure out how many cars they chopped up and you make them pay back the owners 
five times, each owner five times. When are they going to get out of the prison if they're a successful fencing operation? Never. They're never going to get out of prison. And so also if somebody steals something like tools, now I've had thousands of dollars worth of tools stolen right out of the back of my truck yeah, from, from here at the church. Imagine that. I've had things stolen from here at the church. If the person is caught doing that, it, it's because, and why is there 500% payback? It's because you're taking their livelihood. You're taking their ability. If you take somebody's ox, what is an ox used for? To plow a field. If you take the ox, how are they going to replace the ox? Especially if you cut it up for meat and you send it out. I had an airless paint sprayer taken. Uh, from here, when we were painting the church, it was locked up, but somebody broke in, and they got it. They knew it was here. I think it was somebody who volunteered. I don't know. I could be guessing who it was, but it was gone. And so with that, what do you do? You're taking away livelihood. You're taking away the tools. We're not supposed to do that. And there should be a severe penalty for anybody who takes away any type of tool or anything that is valuable for an individual to gain a living. Also, if a thief is caught, verse 2, Breaking in and is struck so that he dies, the defender is not guilty of bloodshed. But if it happens after sunrise, he is guilty of bloodshed. A thief must certainly make restitution. But if he has nothing, he must be sold to pay for his theft. And so this idea, if somebody breaks into your house at night, you can use lethal force. Now I'd ask you the question. If handguns existed back then, would Jesus have allowed a handgun to be used? Or would Moses have allowed a handgun to be used to stop an intruder. He would have. He would have allowed that. But there is a move to get rid of handguns because handguns kill people. No, people kill people, right? <clears throat> so when you look at our society and you see these arguments and the way that they're going, let's get rid of the guns. What does God say? about it in other words back then if you had any implement that would cause a mortal wound would you be allowed to use it the answer is yes but if it's during the day the answer is no and so when we get all confused well what is right should we have guns should we not have guns should we have you know knives should we not have knives back then i'm sure they had a club with a big spike coming out of it and they would just wind up that uh what do they call louis Louisville slugger, thank you. Take that thing and smack the guy and stop him. God would say, go ahead. Whatever you do with your right hand, do with all your might. And so there's no confusion when you actually read the Bible. But people say, ah, forget that Bible. It is clear. And God has done this for us. He has told us this is how society is to operate. This is the moral code. If we follow it as a society, we'll be blessed. If we follow it, as individuals, we will be blessed. This is what God wants for you. He wants you to be blessed. He wants you to know what his will is. He wants you to understand what the moral parameters of life are. If we do that, we will not only benefit those around us, but we will be pleasing to God as well. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And there's so many more instructions that we can glean from your word. And we will do so, Lord willing, next week. But we ask that you would help us not to forget these things. And Lord, help us not to be contentious or divided over these things. But as we read your scripture plainly, may we understand it plainly. 
and install your precepts plainly without confusion. We thank you for your word and what it teaches us. In Jesus' name, amen.